cover today before we get to where we are. So we're gonna have to bear with me and we gotta tell the story so we can get to where we are, fair enough? Most of the Christian people I know, me included, are wandering in the wilderness and not walking in the promises. So let's figure out why and we'll do that by telling the story and then we'll get to where we are maybe we'll understand some things. First of all, Abraham was told by God to take up and pack up and leave. He left all of his kinfolks behind, loaded up all his stuff, and he left. He was promised two things. He was promised that his seed would be more than the stars in the heaven and more than the grains of sand. He promised there would be millions of his seed. He was also promised that everywhere he went would be the promised land. That his kids would eventually inherit the land that he roamed. So Abraham was excited about that. He made a covenant with God. God made a covenant with him. Isaac comes along. He takes him up in the mountain, almost sacrifices him, and then God intervenes. So Abraham fulfilled his job. Then Joseph comes along, and the children of Israel move into Egypt. And they stayed in Egypt about 400 years, working under the pharaohs and all those kinds of people. Moses comes along and helps them get out of Egypt. And Moses' job is to take them to the promised land. So Moses goes out into, the, out into the wilderness to take them to the promised land. They send in 12 spies. The 12 spies come back and they say, man, it's better than we hoped for. But the people are giants. Uh, we don't think we can do it. Two of the spies believe they could. Ten of the spies believe they could not. Okay? Two out of the, out of the 12 people believe that God could. Because of their disbelief, they go into the desert and they spend 40 years in the desert until all those that disbelieved died off. And now they're ready to come back into the promised land. Now, that's where we are. Most of the Christians, like I said, are in the wilderness and they're not walking in the promises. And I'm going to tell you why. Joshua, I know, y'all were finally wondering where we we're going to be today, weren't you? Joshua chapter 2. Now, I'm going to sum up chapter 2 because Joshua and the children of Israel are ready to go into the promised land. They send in two spies. The spies go into Jericho, uh, Jericho and um, they're protected by a lady. And what she does is um, they come to her house. They're spending the time with her. The king finds out about it. He sends somebody over to her house. She hides them in the roof, tells the king, well, they left. They're not here. And before they shut the gates, before they shut the gates tonight, they done took off and went down toward the river. So they send the people out to look for them, to pursue them. <laughs> And then she comes up, and she talks to the two spies. And that's where our sermon starts. Verse 9. 
Well, verse 8. Chapter 1. What? Chapter Joshua 2. two. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. And before they were let, laid down, she came up unto them on the roof. She had hit them on the roof under her flax. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is falling upon us, but all, that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And he did unto the two kings of Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sahad and Gog, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Interesting that the Israelites' enemies believed more in God than they did. I want you to stop and think about that. The reason we are not in the promised land, the reason we're not walking in the promises of God, is because we do not believe who God is. If I was to ask you who God is, you'd say, well, God's God. He made everything, created everything. Then why aren't we living like that? Well, why aren't we living like God is God? Let's just give you some examples. A trial comes up in your life. Okay? What's the first thing you do? Well, what can I do about it? What can I do about it? Can I borrow money about it? Can I? Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can sell that. Maybe I can. Maybe I can. Maybe I can. It's always me. What can I do for this situation? If you're walking in the promises of God, you turn to God and you say, okay, God, what can you do? I want to know what you can do. I know what I can do. I can fall flat on my face and fail and come up short. I want to know what you can do. The enemy, our enemy, knows more about God and believes in God more than we do. Look at what their enemy knew. She knew. In verse, seven, in verse 9, the Lord has given you the land. The Lord has these promises for you. The enemy does not want you to understand and grasp the promises of God because that terrorizes him more than anything else. If we are Christians and we are walking in the promises of God, the enemy is totally terrified of that. Because once we understand who God is, once we understand that we can walk in his promises, he has no ground to stand on. He will be utterly destroyed. He knows that because he knows God. He knows what God is capable of. He knows who God is. We as Christians don't know that. That's why we're wandering around in the wilderness. So the first thing, the Lord your God has given you the land. 
The first thing we as Christians need to understand is the Lord our God has given us promises that we can walk in. Isn't that incredible? That we have promises of God that we can walk in, that we can stand on, that we can stand firm in? Let's go back. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, God freed them from the bonds of the Pharaoh. They crossed the Red Sea, God freed them. When we become Christians, we are freed from death. We are freed from the power of the enemy. We are freed to do those things. And just like the children of Israel, we get out in the we are out in this place and we, we see God do things for us. Every one of us in here has seen God do something for us, yes? Well, he fed them, he clothed them, he, he guided them by day, he watched over them by night. Sounds about like normal Christian life, doesn't it? But they weren't walking in the promised land. See, we as Christians settle in the wilderness. It's comfortable. We've seen God do some things. We know we can, we can trust God. But in order for us to walk in the promises of God, it's beyond that. We have to know who God is. Well, let's read on a little bit further. The enemy is scared to death that we as Christians will plug in to the promises of God. Why, why is he so scared if we plug into the promises of God? First of all, if we are plugged into the promises of God, our prayers will not go unanswered. Whoa! Does not the Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much? Does not Jesus say, pray and you shall see, ask and you shall receive it? The problem is, we don't ask believing. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We pray for things but do we actually have faith believing that it's actually going to take place? See, that's the promise. We're over here on this side going, well, I'm going to ask, but I really don't know. I don't know if I can trust God for that. I, I, um, I want to trust God. I'm a believer, but I really, deep down inside, don't know if I can. The enemy is over here scared to death that we're going to find out we can and when we find out we can, he is going to be banished. He's going to be crucified. He is no longer going to have any power in our life at all. Can you see why he's terrorized? Can you see why he'd rather keep us in the desert than in the promises? Because once we start getting in the promises of God, we can start claiming territory. We can start having victories in our lives. We can march across we can attack hell with water pistols once we obtain the promises. Okay? That's why they're terrorized. He also knows, in verse 10, she says, For we know have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you as you came out of Egypt. The enemy knows that God has come into your life and has freed you from him. He knows that. He knows you are a sinner. You were lost in sin. 
Jesus Christ came in, you accepted it, and he knows that that bond has been cut. He knows that. He understands that better than you do. That is why he's trying so hard to make you stumble and fall and stagger around. He does not want you to obtain the freedom that you have in Christ. If he can keep you under that burden, under that pressure, and keep you staggering and stumbling around, then you're not going to be, bold, be able to boldly stand and say, I'm doing what God told me to do. Get out of the way. This is the promise. God has promised me this. I'm claiming this promise. Back down. Get away from me. You no longer have power in my life. Doesn't the Bible say that we have power over sin? Isn't that a promise? Then why do we struggle around with it so much? Because we're not acting by faith on what God has promised us. Let's look at some others, okay? He also knows, she knew, that they had destroyed kings on the other side of the Jordan. The enemy knows that if we find the promises of God, that he is bound. Whatever is bound in heaven is bound on earth. Whatever is loose in heaven is loose on earth. We have a whole lot of power that we're not tapping into because of the simple fact we don't believe who God is. Okay? We say we do. But actions speak louder than words. I can tell Kim that I love her. Those are words. But I can add action to my words which makes her know that I love her. Okay? That's just, that's just the way it is. I can either give her words or I can show her some actions sometimes. Now, I don't show actions as often as I should. And that's my fault. And Kim will verify that. But there are some things that I do that Kim knows that I love her. Because I do some actions. Okay? Now, verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither do there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth below. God is God. He created everything. He put it all together. I, as a Christian, have asked Jesus Christ to come in my life. That moment that I asked Jesus to come in my life, the Spirit of God was born in me. I have the God of all creation the God of the universe the God of heaven and the God of earth living in my life I walk around like I don't I walk around depressed I walk around defeated I walk around not experiencing victory I walk around not experiencing joy I walk around not experiencing happiness I walk around like I've got the burden of the world on my shoulders and the reason that I walk that way is because I don't believe that I actually have God Almighty. Or that I don't know that I have God Almighty. We as human beings have a tendency not to fully understand the power of God. That's just a fact. Let's just, let's just be factual this morning. 
If we could have been there when God sung heaven and earth into place, when He spoke and there was sunlight, when He spoke and there was an earth, when He spoke and the plants came up and the animals were formed and the seas were parted, if we could have been there, how much greater would our faith in God be? The enemy was there. The enemy saw that. The enemy knows the power of God. He has visited him in heaven. Look at Job. The Bible says Satan was walking to and fro in front of the He has seen God's glory. He has experienced God's power. He has seen God and what God can do. His faith in God is stronger than our faith in God. Because he's seen him and he knows what he can do. Our faith in God grows. The more we exercise our faith, the more faith we're going to have and the more belief we're going to have in who God is. It's important that we believe who God is. It's important that we act upon that belief. Because if we don't act upon that belief, there's a dying world out here that's going to die and go to hell because we were not bold enough, brave enough, faithful enough to do what God has asked us to do. Now, I wish I could say that I have lived in the promised land. I have visited it occasionally. And here's how, I, here's how I know that it's there. God will tell me something. And I don't see any way in heaven or earth that it's going to happen. I just don't see any way that it can happen. There ain't no way. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, this is going to happen. I'll give you an example. I go to camp. And they came up to me and they said, um, well, well, we have a challenge. I said, oh, what's the challenge? I was there as a nature man. They said, um, our preacher can't come till tomorrow. And he had some special things he was going to do with the kids. And there's 600 of them. And we don't know what to do with them. We're going to let you play with them. Well, how prepared am I? He had games he was going to bring. He had hula hoops and all kinds of stuff he was going to bring with the kids. They gave me the kids for two hours by myself. All 600 of them. I turn around and all the counselors are run away from it all. I'm out there with 600 kids by myself. I'm sitting there going, God, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. You're going to have to do something here. And guess what? God steps up and does something. And I turn around, and before the end of the day, there's 80 professions of faith made with some of the things that I do. See, that's a praise the Lord moment. That, that's a promise I stepped into. I saw God fulfill it. I get through it, I go, <laughs> Boy, that was cool. See, I've stepped into the promised land occasionally. I, I've seen God do things when I had no concept of what he was doing. I was in Mexico. Remember, I don't speak Spanish. I was one of the four chosen to go to Mexico. I'm sitting there and I had a nine-year-old boy that was my translator. And I'm standing there in a room 
tin roof, adobe up this high up, and it's pouring down rain, but they don't want to come inside the building because they come inside the building, it's a sign of commitment. I'm holding a coal lantern in one hand and my Bible in the other, and I say, today's sermon is about a shepherd and sheep. And I turn to the nine-year-old boy, and he says, no caprende, shepherd and sheep. He didn't understand those words. Well, if he doesn't understand those words, how in the world is he going to translate my sermon? I'm standing there. There's probably 40 or 50 people standing around this little shed. My nine-year-old says he can't translate for me. I'm inside, and my stomach's just a turn and going, what are you going to do now? And I said, okay, Lord, <laughs> this is your promise. You said if I go, you would prepare. God, you, you promised me that if I would come, you would take care of it. <laughs> God, I can't do this on my own. About that time, crowd parts. Coming in the backside of the building is a shepherd. He comes up and looks at me square in the face, turns around and sits down on the floor. He has a lamb around his neck. I'll get to that here in a minute. He sits on the floor cross-legged and he puts his sheep on one side and his goats on the other. Don't tell me that wasn't God. Don't tell me that God did not give me my sermon illustration right there plain in front of everybody. And the lamb on his neck had broken its leg. Shepherds will break their lamb's leg and carry it so it gets used to their voice. Don't tell me that whole sermon illustration wasn't from God. I preached five hours. He's in there the whole time. As I'm winding down, he gets up, he leaves, all the sheep and goat leave with him. Sixteen people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Started asking the villagers after the sermon was over with, nobody, nobody out of the 40-something people knew who he was. Nobody had ever seen him. That's a God thing. That's walking in the promises of God. That's where God intervenes and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's God. And you go, whoa, this is better than snot on a marble. This, this is better than hogs looking at slop. This is wonderful. Because I saw what God's promises can do. I wish I could say that I live, always live in the promised land. I'm kind of a traveler. I go from the desert to the promised land, back to the desert. <laughs> because I don't trust God, believe God, for all the things that he says. I'm still human enough that I still stagger and fall. But I've been with God enough that I know the promised land exists. And I'll tell you that most Christians have never passed over into the promised land. See, I don't know what the promised land is for you. But I'll tell you what it is. It's when God gives you a promise. You believe him beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then that promise is fulfilled. Boom. It will blow your socks completely off. It will bless you more than you've ever been blessed. It'll bless you so much you want to stay there. Because it's been wonderful. But then God will tell me another promise and I'll go, 
I don't know if you can do that one. <clears throat> Back in the desert I go. Our walking in the desert, our walking in the promises of God, depend upon if we believe who God is and we trust Him for what He's going to do. That's the promised land. That's the promised land. God comes along and says, here's what I'm going to do. And we're looking around going, I don't see any way under the stars that you can do that. But you know what, God? I'm dumb enough, I'm going to believe that you can. Because I know who you are. You are the God of the heavens. God of the earth. God above the, over anything under the earth. You are God of the universe. You created all this in a matter of days. I'm going to trust you and believe in you and I'm going to walk in this promise because I know you can. Want to walk in the promise? Tell God he can. Believe him. Trust him. Sometimes it takes a while. Can you imagine running around in the wilderness for 40 years knowing that the promised land is just, just right over there? but you couldn't get to it because of your unbelief? How frustrating would that be? Y'all know the promise. Y'all know the promised land. You know that God is able and capable to do whatever he said he's going to do. Yes? Then let's walk there. Let's trust him. Let's experience the promised land. Okay? Verse 12. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord that I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my Father's house and give me a true token. Their enemy believed God so strong that she asked for life for her family. Isn't that incredible? Who knew, who knew their God better? She or them? She knew to ask for life and that God would honor that. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Anyway, I hope you all have enjoyed this this morning. Okay? Let's have a word of prayer and see what the Lord's got ready for this Thanksgiving weekend. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you again for the promises. Lord, for the time that you've intervened, for the time that I can look back in my life and I can go, that was a God thing. Lord, I ask you to help us walk in the promises. Lord, as we give, ready to give thanks for all the things we have and all the things you've done for us this coming up week. Lord, help us to thank you and to remember the promises that you've already given us that we've seen completed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>